Thank you. I'd like you to turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. major area of debate within the church today has to do with the subject of spiritual gifts. People ask questions like, are all the gifts mentioned in the New Testament still available today? Have some of those gifts ceased? What is a spiritual gift and what is not a spiritual gift? How do you get them? How do you unwrap your gift? How do they work? Are they a sign of a higher plane of spirituality? Or as some would say, are certain gifts even a sign of your salvation? There are a lot of questions relative to this subject of spiritual gifts. And we're going to deal with those questions and the answers to those questions in chapters 12 to 14. And I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Because when it comes to this subject, we've got some people in our church who are right-wing, we've got some people who are left-wing, we have got some people who are in-between wings, we have people who don't even know they have wings. We've got some people who are going to think I go too far, we're going to have some people who don't think I go far enough. But I think it's really going to be exciting because we're going to learn about a subject that I think is very misunderstood today and oftentimes not taught enough today because it's such an essential thing that you understand what your spiritual gift is and that you function in that giftedness within the body of Christ. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now concerning, excuse me, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Now Paul has been dealing with problems in the church at Corinth. In chapters 1 to 6, he deals with problems, as he tells us in chapter 1, verse 11, that he heard about through the family of Chloe. Those families were division within the church, discipline in the church, lawsuits, they were suing each other, and immorality. And then beginning with chapter 7, he deals with issues about which the Corinthians had written to him. Chapter 7, verse 1 defines the transition point when Paul says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. So they wrote him a letter and asked some questions, and he's answering those questions. In chapter 7, he answered the question about marriage and divorce and remarriage. In that same chapter, at the end of which, he talks about the idea of being single and how you live as a single person in the world. In verses, or chapters 8 to 10, he talks about meat offered to idols, which applies to many of the gray areas in our life today. Chapter 11, he talks about the Lord's Supper and problems they were having there. And now when we come to chapter 12, he's going to deal in chapter 12 to 14 with the subject of spiritual gifts. And if you'll notice verse 1 again, the word gifts is in italics in verse 1. So literally he says now concerning spirituals or things characterized by the Spirit or things controlled by the Spirit. And the implication is that he's talking about gifts because that's the subject he deals with in the next three chapters. Now, the Corinthians were not unfamiliar with spiritual gifts. In fact, within their church, they actually had all the gifts. Paul says in chapter 1 and verse 7, you are not lacking in any gift. So they had them all. You say, well, what was their problem? 
Well, they had two major problems. One of their problems was that they had a great deal of difficulty discerning what was of the Spirit of God and what was not. When someone professed to have a spiritual gift, how were they going to determine whether this person was really speaking on behalf of the Spirit of God, whether this person was really operating in the Spirit of God, whether this was really a God-given gift, or whether it was something else? And that's a great question, because that's an issue we still have to deal with today. And it seems that it was especially difficult for the Corinthians because of their background. Notice what he says to them in verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Now their background was idol worship. That's what they were saved out of. And Paul reminds them that bowing down to graven images was not something they decided to do by their intellect. He says twice in this verse, they were led. That verb means somebody else controlled you. If I am being led, someone is leading me. Now the question is, who was leading them? Well, back in chapter 10 and verse 20, he tells us that the influence behind idolatry is demonic. People who worship idols are led by fallen spirit beings. You see, when you look at a person and you see him bowing down to a carved tree stump, you may say, that's not very smart. But the reality is that person is not being led by his intellect. He is being led by demonic forces. He is not freely choosing by his intellect to bow down to an idol. He is being controlled. He is being led by demons. In fact, Paul says of these idols that they are mute. They are dumb. They can't respond. They can't give any revelation. They can't make anything known to their worshipers. The total influence behind an idol is demonic. And Paul reminds the Corinthians that they have come out of that. And so he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand how to discern the Spirit of God. Now, how do you discern the Spirit of God? Notice verse 3. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is an important verse, and I want you to look at it closely. How do you recognize the Spirit of God at work? The Spirit of God came into the world to do one thing, and that one thing is to exalt Jesus Christ. That's all he ever does. His goal in everything is to present Jesus as Lord. So if you want to recognize the Spirit of God at work, you look at someone or something that is happening and you ask the question, is this exalting Jesus? Is this proclaiming Jesus as Lord? And to make that point, he presents it first negatively and then positively. 
Negatively, he says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed, or Jesus is damned. You say, well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Well, you would think so. But you see, it seems that the Corinthians were so caught up in the ecstatic nature of some of the gifts that they didn't pay attention to the content. They were not real discerning about what was being said. They said, this guy's so excited. Listen to him. He's so excited. He's on fire for the Lord. And they weren't listening to the content of what he was saying. And what he was saying was actually belittling Jesus. And so Paul says, if you want to discern the Spirit of God, don't worry about how excited somebody is. Ask the question, what are they saying? Are they saying that Jesus is Lord? And then the positive. He says, no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Again, how do I recognize the Spirit at work in a person? What that person says will exalt Jesus Christ. And that's not a a natural response to Jesus. You see, we don't naturally say Jesus is Lord. You remember when Peter responded to Jesus in Matthew 16, and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said to him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My flesh and blood doesn't naturally say Jesus is Lord. That's a revelation from the Father. That's an evidence that the Spirit is at work in my life. You see, my flesh and blood naturally says science is Lord. Pleasure is Lord. Sex is Lord. Money is Lord. Man is Lord. The Spirit of God comes into me and controls me, and he says Jesus is Lord. You see, where the Spirit is at work, Jesus will be glorified. That's his point. Jesus said this in John 16, 13. I want you to listen carefully. He said, when the Spirit is come, he will not speak of himself. He shall glorify me, for he will take the things of mine and make them known unto you. You know what that tells me? Listen carefully. Someone who continually emphasizes the Spirit of God gives evidence that they are not controlled by the Spirit of God. Did you get that? That's pretty profound, even for me. Someone who continually talks about the Spirit gives evidence that they are not controlled by the Spirit because the Spirit does not emphasize himself. He focuses on, he centers on, he exalts Jesus Christ. I don't, have, I don't prove that I have the Spirit by talking about the Spirit. I prove that I have the Spirit by talking about Jesus. The one who has the Spirit of God says, Jesus is Lord. I was once witch- witnessing to a girl on the campus, and she told me, oh, yeah, I've got the Spirit of God. And she began to tell me about visions she was having and all kinds of stuff. And when she was through talking, I came back to, well, When did you accept Jesus? She kind of looked at me funny like, what's that? 
See, she was talking about the Spirit, claiming to have the Spirit, didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You discern the Spirit of God because the Spirit always exalts, focuses on, centers on Jesus Christ. So Paul says to the Corinthians, here's how you tell whether a man is speaking by the Spirit of God or not. It's not how ecstatic he gets. It's not how excited he talks. I hear people say, oh, I like that preacher. He talks so excited. Well, Paul would say, fine. But what is he saying? And the evidence of the Spirit of God, the way we discern the Spirit of God, is that he says, Jesus is Lord. And then the other problem they had is that they use spiritual gifts as a measuring stick to evaluate people. They kind of said, well, you've got this gift, so you're more important than that person. And they began to measure each other by the spiritual gifts that they had within their body. And so Paul wants to show in this passage that that's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. In fact, let me just read verses 4 to 11, and I want you to notice in these verses the idea of diversity and unity. Notice verse 4. For there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. You see the diversity? Verse 4, varieties of gifts. Verse 5, varieties of ministries. Verse 6, varieties of effects. Verse 7, each one. Verse 8, to one, to another. Verse 9, to another, to another. Verse 10, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And then he gets to verse 11 and he says, each one individually. There's all this diversity in the body. But then if you look in these same verses, in reference to the Spirit, he uses the word same six times and the word one twice. So we have all this diversity within the body individually, but collectively we are one. We are in the same Spirit. And to use that and to make that point as we go into future weeks into this chapter, we're going to see the illustration that he uses is the illustration of the human body. In the human body, we have diversity, yet we have unity. We have variety, yet we have dependence between the members of the body. It's kind of like a football team. A football team doesn't say, we're so united, we're all going to be quarterback. No. If you're united as a team, each one plays his position, and you function as a team. It's the same way in the body of Christ. We have variety in the body of Christ, and because we're united, each one of us is responsible to play his or her position 
in the body of Christ. Now let me just give you a quick definition of spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is a God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally ministers to the body. It's God-given, it's supernatural, and it's used to minister to the body of Christ. And we learn something in these verses about spiritual gifts because he uses five different words to describe them. And I just want to go through here and pick out those terms that he uses and kind of emphasize those terms so we get a total picture of spiritual gifts. The first word he uses is in verse 1. He calls them spirituals, which tells us that the source of our spiritual gift and the empowerment for our spiritual gift is from the Spirit of God. He gives me my gift, he empowers my gift, and he gets all the glory. Secondly, in verse 4, he calls them gifts. Now, that's a Greek word that you've heard of before. It's the Greek word charismaton, from which we get our word charismatic. But it doesn't mean what you may think it means, because it's from the root word charos, which means grace. And what is grace? Grace is an undeserved gift. So what does that tell me? The gift that God has given me is not something that I'm to take pride in because it is just that. It is a gift God has given me for no reason in myself. In fact, this word is used 17 times in the New Testament. 11 times it's used of spiritual gifts. Six times it's used of salvation. I don't brag about my salvation. Why not? Because I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It was given to me as a gift, and he's telling us the same is true of your spiritual gifts as well. And then thirdly, in verse 5, he refers to it as, and there are varieties of ministries. That's another Greek word you've heard of. It's the Greek word diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. The word deacon means servant. And so another word for spiritual gifts is service, which tells me the purpose of my spiritual gift, it is to serve, to be a servant. You see, my gift isn't designed to give me special privileges. I have the gift of teaching. I guess I could study and learn a lot of stuff, and tape it and listen to it privately and say amen. I'd get a better response. (laughs) But you see, that would be misusing my gift because my gift is designed to serve. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving one another. Your gift is not for self-satisfaction. Your gift is not for self-fulfillment. It is given to serve others. 
And I love the fact that he says there are varieties of ministries. You see, you can have the gift of teaching, and you can have the kind of gift where you may teach children, and someone else has that same gift, and they may teach seminary students. Different level, varieties. You may have the gift of evangelist. One person may have that gift and they speak in front of large crowds. Another person has that gift and they focus on one-on-one evangelism. There is variety among the gifts. And then the fourth word used is in verse 6. And that's the word affects. That's a word that can mean energizing. There are differences of energizing. When we use our gift, it is energized by the Spirit of God. Sometimes I listen to an old tape of me preaching. I've been preaching for a while. I go back 15, 20 years and listen to a tape that I did. Sometimes I sit there and go, did I say that? That's pretty good. What's going on? When I use my gift in submission to God, the Spirit of God energizes me. That's the supernatural part. Energizes me in that giftedness. That's why some of you come up to me afterwards, and and I'm thinking, man, I blew it today. That That was sorry. And some of you come up and go, man, you were speaking right to me today. That was just what I needed to hear. And I'm like, okay. It's a God thing. I tell people it's like, it's like batting in Wrigley Field with the wind blowing out. You know, you pop it up and the wind carries it over the fence. That's the way it is with God. And whatever our gift is, when we use our gift in submission to Him, He energizes that gift. I also notice that when I try to do other things that aren't my gift. The energy isn't there. You know, I, I try to do something, uh, I tell people... Keep me away from little kids. I, mean, I love them individually, but to, to communicate with them, I really have a difficult time. So if I'm doing something I'm not really gifted to do, there's a sense that this is really a struggle to accomplish this because that energizing is not there because the giftedness is not there. So this word means energizing. It also means effects or outcome. So God, when God energizes it, it affects the outcome or, or, or the impact of that giftedness. You see, everyone who has the gift of evangelism is not going to have the effects that Billy Graham does. Billy Graham amazes me. The guy, even at his, his age with Alzheimer's, he gets up and he, and he talks for a little while, and then he says, I want you all to come forward. The buses will wait. And here they come. And I'm kind of like, Man, it wasn't that tough. You know, it's a pretty simple message, pretty simple invitation, and people respond. What is that? That's a giftedness from God. But you see, I don't, if I have the gift of evangelism, I don't compare myself with Billy Graham because he says there are varieties of effects. I don't expect that to happen necessarily. God has provided my gift, and my gift is unique. I have unique energizing. I have unique effects as well. And then the final word he uses, the fifth word is in verse 7. And that's the word manifestation. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word manifestation means to make clear, to make visible, to manifest. 
You see, God's hand should be clear and visible working through me when I'm operating in my giftedness. When I'm operating in my giftedness, it manifests him and not me. See, if I preach and you go home and say, man, that's an impressive preacher, then you have missed the point. Because the point is, I have a great God. And he should be manifest when I use my spiritual gift. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.11. If I can find it. 1 Peter 4.11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you use your giftedness, the result is that Jesus Christ and God the Father are glorified And again, that's the evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in you. And what's the purpose? Look back at verse 7. It says, for the common good. My gift should manifest God and minister to you. And this is that common dependence that we have on each other. Your gift is not for you, it's for me. And my gift is not for me. It's for you. It's for the common good. Now, in verses 8 to 10, he lists some gifts. And I'm going to jump over those this morning because we're going to come back to them in future weeks. In fact, we're going to camp out in those verses. And we're going to kind of tear apart some of these spiritual gifts and try to understand what they are because I believe that it's essential that you begin to figure out what is your spiritual gift or what are your spiritual gifts so that you can minister in the capacity in which God has gifted you. So we're going to break these apart in the weeks to come so that you can kind of say, well, I think that might be my gift. I'm going to try that one and and see if God is energizing me in that area. So we're going to camp out there. But for this morning, I want to jump over those verses. I just wanted to tell you that so you wouldn't think this is the first time you ever saw me skipping verses. We'll come back. But notice verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. You have all this variety of giftedness, and yet the same Spirit is behind them all. I want you to notice something in this verse. How many Christians have gifts? Verse 11 says... Each one. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. You don't have to get up in the pulpit to have a spiritual gift. Everybody has one. Each one of you has one. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. And how did you get your spiritual gift? Well, look at verse 11 again. He says the Spirit gives them as he wills. So you don't have to go out seeking a gift... He gives the gift to you as he wills. It's not about my will, getting what I want. It's about him giving me what he wants. I didn't get the gift I wanted. I didn't want to be up here. I didn't want the gift of teacher, but he gave that to me. 
because God wanted to prove that he could work through somebody like me. He wanted to take somebody who was not skilled to do that and say, if I work through him, I'll get more glory. That's what he did. I'd rather have the gift of sit in the pew. That's not a gift. Lest you think you've got it. Veg in the pew. Um, And that's why it's important that we understand what our gift is. Because we we don't go out and just pick one and say, I like that one. We've got to figure out what is it that God has given me by his will to have. And then I want you to notice, it says, he has given to each one individually. And I love that. God gives everyone a gift, but listen, we are not clones. He gives us a gift individually. We're still individual. He doesn't say, all the people with the gift of helps are over here and they all look alike and they act alike and they talk alike. No. He gives to each one individually. God doesn't mass produce the gifts. In fact, the word individually is a Greek word you also know. It's the Greek word idia, which comes from the root word idios, from which we get our word idiot. You know where I'm going. An idiot is someone like whom there is no other. Now, don't take this out of context. But you are a spiritual idiot. Spiritually, there is no one else like you. That's his point. There is no one like you. And that's why you're so important in the body of Christ because only you have the combination of gifts and energy and service to do what God has called you to do. And there's no one else like you. If we lose you, God can't just exchange you with somebody else. You are essential in the body of Christ. Just like the little toe, just like the big toe, just like my ear. All parts of the body of Christ uniquely formed and uniquely made and uniquely accomplishing those things that the body needs. That's you. One of the things that's amazing about God's creation is that every snowflake is unique. That amazes me. It's like when they catch a snowflake, everyone has a unique design like no other snowflake. If I was God, I'd say, "Eh, give me five or ten snowflakes, that'll do He made everyone unique, which reminds us of this truth, that in the body of Christ, every one of you is a spiritual snowflake. You are needed, you are necessary, you are irreplaceable in the body of Christ. Beautiful thought. So as we get in this passage and discover the giftedness, I want you to focus in on how God has gifted you to place you in the body, in your uniqueness, so that you might use your gift for the common good and the building up of the body of Christ. I'm going to have Damon, I'm sorry, I wrote it wrong. Is it Desmond? Demond. I wrote it right. Demond Davis to come up. I'm sorry, Demond. I knew I'd butcher that. What'd you do, sit on the back row? 
How tall are you, Damon? 6'3". You got me by an inch. An inch. You're probably going to grow some more, though. Turn around and face. Smile real pretty. There you go. Excited for Damon this morning. <clears throat> It's interesting what he said this morning, but someone who got baptized a couple weeks ago said, I heard what somebody said in the baptismal tank two weeks ago, and it touched my heart that I needed to get baptized. So it's like a domino effect. Uh, when you see people baptized and you realize you haven't made that step of faith, let that be a challenge to you. It's not a, an easy thing. In fact, it's an embarrassing thing, but it, it really pictures our death to Christ, our death in Christ. So it is an embarrassing thing to get rid of yourself, to walk in newness of life. That's exciting. Uh, Patrick, would you walk demand out to the lobby? And uh, you guys go out while I'm, while I'm praying, and then when I'm done, give you the opportunity to go out and encourage him. And again, be sure and encourage our high school graduates this morning on this day when we celebrate that as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for this passage that introduces the subject of spiritual gifts, and we're amazed that you give us salvation, you ask us to serve you, and then you give us, as a gift, the capacity to do that. And you work in us by your Spirit to accomplish it. What an amazing thing. And Lord, I pray that as we go through these, these chapters that you will speak to each heart here to really help us to understand how you've gifted us and where we need to serve you, and how we need to depend on you in that process. And Lord, we'll be careful in all of that to give you all the glory, because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name.